if William F. Buckley was right, and you know, occasionally he was, about industry being the enemy of melancholy, well, then there's no melancholy in sight for my guest today on the program. He's been busy. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Storms blowing in, windows open wide. We lay there like two loaded guns. I will always think of you in that fading light. Your silhouette. of my guest today on the program, Darden Smith. Let me tell you a little bit about Darden Smith. So, when I said that Darden Smith was busy, I wasn't kidding. The Texas-born singer-songwriter's new project, Western Skies, is an ambitious and comprehensive multimedia affair that's dedicated to the mythology and history of West Texas. It's a lot of things. It's a new album. It's a book of essays. It's photography. It's spoken word pieces. It's song lyrics. It's a set of videos. Putting it simply, this thing is just a monster of a release. Influenced by Neil Young, Guy Clark, and John Prine, Darden Smith's body of work dates all the way back to 1986. Since then, he's put out a series of albums that consistently demonstrate he's one of the best songwriters out there. From Little Victories to Deep Fantastic Blue to Everything to Western Skies to the album he did with Boo Hooradine, there's never been a dip in quality for Mr. Smith. In addition to being an artist, he also founded the Be an Artist program in 2003. The program's mission statement is to bring arts and creativity into educational settings. His collaborative songwriting work has found him working with homeless young adults, Botswana residents suffering from HIV, and both Israeli and Palestinian groups. In 2012, he founded Songwriting with Soldiers along with Mary Judd. The group's weekend retreats finds professional musicians pairing with veterans and active duty service members who share stories of both combat and reentry into civilian life, and then those stories are turned into songs. Speaking of songs, Western Skies, well, it's full of them, and they shimmer and roll with melodic ease. Smith has never sounded better, and the songs here are informed by memory, regret, and the landscape of desire. It's beautiful work, and talking to Darden Smith was a blast. So let's get to it. Here's me and Darden Smith having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
saw you here, God, man, it must have been 25 years ago. Right and Salvage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great gig. A great you gig. Might, you, there, I think it was you and three other people in the room, but it was, it was a great gig. <laughs> I saw you and I saw Greg Brown a few nights later. Um, wow. It was a good run. That's a very good run. It seems like, you know, you look really familiar. Have we met other than that? I, we, I think we travel in similar circles, but I think so we must know similar people. Um, okay, great. Fantastic. But, uh, you know, I don't know Charlie Sexton, but. <laughs> you know, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know what to say, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy. I remember he's when I was amazing. 16. He's incredible. When I was 16, his single came out. And we were both around the same age. And I went, how is this guy already fully formed and I can barely drive? Do you know the history of Charlie Sexton? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, he's he was raised, you know, but basically he was raised by rock and roll wolves, you know. And he was just gifted. He was gifted from very early. And, you know, the great thing about Charlie is he overcame, he overcame that thing. And he really is one of the most gifted musicians I've ever been around as far as um, fl fluid, I call it fluidity. He's just, he's just, he has a fluidness in his thinking and his playing that's pretty hard to match, man. It's like, you can kind of, he's great. He's a great hang. He's really funny. So he's a joy to be around. He's very serious about what he does. He's not messing around. And it's just, it's a, it's great. It's amazing. And and when he plays on your track, it's going to sound amazing. So, yeah. I mean, he's kind of the guy. He's definitely one of them, you know, and he's, he has a very unique thing. And, and I saw him do some pretty crazy stuff on my, he played on my last record as well. And I've known Charlie since I was 20 years old, you know, 22, we were both kicking around, but I was this sort of singer songwriter guy. I was kind of scared of those guys. you know. <laughs> so, but we've known each other, you know, for a long time. Yeah. I imagine like being, you know, being so gifted, so young, I mean, it, it veers towards Mozart territory, right? Where it's like, how do you, how do you, how are you that good, that young? Well, he, um, it's all he does. It's all he did was play guitar. You know? That was it. He, he's like, he's one of those guys like Stuart Smith, you know, who, he just plays guitar all the time. <laughs> and Richard Thompson, you go, I've been on the road with Richard Thompson and Richard Thompson sits around in his dressing room kind of all day and you know, just doing scales and they, that's what they do. They, they play guitar and it's amazing. They play music. Charlie's a great piano player as well. He's kind of, anyway, well, I mean, enough, of, enough about him. Enough, yeah, about, enough about Charlie. It's enough. not Charlie Sexton's record. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll it doesn't it. say Charlie Sexton Westerns, guys. Just saying. <laughs> That's right. Saying. Well, um, for you, though, um, in terms of your own work ethic, were you Charlie Sexton-like for as a singer-songwriter, or was, was your work That's, ethic... I, I'm sorry, say that again? Like, your was your work ethic... Were you similar in the sense that you were always writing songs, always yeah. working on your craft? Yeah, when I was, yeah, yeah. You know, I started writing songs when I was 10 mm. and, and wrote, you know, like one or two a year until my family moved to, I grew up on a farm in, in Texas. And uh, then my family moved to the suburbs of Houston, North Houston. And it was such a culture shock for me. Um, so to be in this, uh, really a farm kid, you know, like, 
hunting and fishing and raising cows and chickens and stuff and to move to the suburbs of houston and we moved to a condominium across the street from a golf course <laughs> cat got ran over the first week you know and it was like that day dude we're in like i'm i'm in another i'm i'm in oz and i just retreated into my bedroom and i was already into i was already into songwriters so i was into guy clark and the whole texas thing that was happening I was very into that. And um, now I retreated into my bedroom and just began to write songs. You know, I, 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 and I began to study, like, I didn't know any musicians. I didn't know, I had the opposite thing from Charlie in that I was, I had parents that were kind of, they weren't anti-music. There was no music in the house. Uh, there was the radio, but not, you know, they weren't like record collectors. My brother and sister weren't hip, <laughs> you know, the older brother and sister, they didn't have the cool records. Uh, I had to really discover it on my own. And uh, so, but, but once I discovered, <clears throat> I, re I do remember writing that first song that was like, really like in the eighth grade, I wrote this song and like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just re I was rewriting Guy Clark songs, John Prine songs, Jerry Jeff Walker songs. And and then it was, it just felt so good. It, it was like this um, way to tell secrets and way to say what I truly felt. And so it kind of saved my life, literally saved my life during my high school years. I just wrote songs all the time. You know, it was my thing. It was also, it was kind of like my superpower mm -hmm. in that nobody else could do it. None of my friends, nobody else in school wrote songs that I knew of. It wasn't like now, like, there's so many kids that want to be on, you know, they want to be rock stars. So they, they write songs. That's what they do. There's tons of kids that write songs. Now I, there was nobody in my high school that wrote songs that I knew of. And it was just this thing. And I just, um, I was just way into it. And then <clears throat> when I went to college, I, I didn't know, I knew I wanted to be in the music thing somehow, but I didn't know how to do it at all. So I didn't actually was kind of embarrassed by it. My first semester at school, I remember like, I didn't write any songs. And then, then once I, once I kind of refound it when I was, you know, 19, then I was like hooked. And then I just, in my early twenties, I mean, and, and my early to all through my twenties, it's kind of all I did was write songs and then start gigging, but it was, it was great. It was amazing, you know, and, and I never stopped. And I put out my first record when I was 25 or six and, an indie record and and then you know got a deal after that and i just never stopped really you know that was in 86 right the first one was 86 yeah it was called native soil yeah and um it was an indie thing and you know it was i had no idea what i was doing no idea it was an eight track record that's how cool it was wow yeah. really eight track we had to bounce tracks lyle lovett sang on it nancy griffith sang on it um it was pretty it was fun it was a blast you know and uh what the the thing I, I look back on that record there's a clarity of uh a clarity of sound that because it was an eight track record uh we you couldn't get that complicated <laughs> it was like there and it's kind of like you sang it a couple times and you went for it and it, in some ways uh, that was what we were, I, we were trying to get back to, I was trying to get back to that on Western skies with a clarity of sound, fewer instrumentation, fewer instruments, make those instruments 
cover a lot of ground, which actually gives everybody a lot of space to play. You know, musicians, you, you, there's nothing, people love nothing more than filling up space. Right. We tell every, you know, we kind of laid out the instrumentation of it before we started recording. We said that the bass player and the drummer are even like, okay, man, this is your, like, fill up this amount of space, you know, and uh, it's great. So, yeah, but I, I worked very hard in my 20s and 30s and still work hard, but but I wrote songs like nonstop. It's great. Yeah, I mean, because you, I mean, you've been pretty consistent. I mean, you're, you're very prolific in terms of like your output is, you know, you're kind of a machine. Well, uh, you know, there's people that do more, there's people that record, you know, like a record a year. Kind yeah. of thing. I don't have that kind of, I, I had it until I had that kind of pace until um, the record of mine called a uh, love calling and um or even marathon before that. But, um, you know, in around 2000 and I guess 10, 11, something like that, I started doing other work with songwriting, uh, the, the first to be an artist program. And then I started songwriting with soldiers with a friend of mine, Mary Judd. Um, and that became a real big focus on my life. And, and I discovered this other way to use songs and also make a living but uh just another way to write songs and another thing to do that had nothing to do with being in the music business it had nothing to do with the music business it had everything to do with music nothing to do with music business and uh, you know the music is great the music business is a brutal <laughs> a brutal world um and and then there's bad days you know <laughs> and uh like that hunter thompson phrase and uh but um but and so my my output of albums slowed down but my output of songs increased by like i don't know fourfold yeah you know i just wrote all these songs i got hundreds and hundreds of songs that i wrote with veterans and other groups that no one they'll never see the light of day and that was fantastic because i'd spent the previous 25 years trying to get people to look at me and notice me and uh it was really is really very refreshing as an artist to pull back and not that not even be in the in the equation and so and that's when i began to look at songwriting and music really as a service gig mm. you know you know does that make sense it does it's really I mean, i'm here to serve you and and then i begin to recognize that that's you know if you look at people like springsteen that's what springsteen does it's really a service gig. He's there to serve the people that come to see him play. Mm. That's why you go to a Springsteen gig and you walk out feeling like you've been to church, you know, or, or Leonard Cohen, one of those Leonard Cohen shows at the end of his life. So that slowed my, that slowed what the sort of public output of my stuff, but it didn't slow me down from working. And I also around, um, you know, around, around the turn of the, around, around 1999, I really began to diversify what I did. So I started working with dance in the late nineties. I guess it was earlier than that, mid nineties. I started doing work with dance theater productions. Mm. Uh, so I wrote three pieces of dance theater. I did a symphony in 99. I don't read music, but that never stopped me. Um, and then just started doing diverse projects and looking around for different ways to work. And, uh, you know, put a book out in 2018 
habit of noticing. And then I did a theater project called, you know, Marathon was really a theater project that went nowhere, but it was a theater project. And, uh, you know, now I start making a lot of visual art, yeah. which, you know, Mar- uh, Western Skies is, you know, really a sort of a multimedia thing and uh, with the book. And so the output hasn't slowed the albums. There's fewer albums, you know, there's more years between the albums, but the output and the, the activity hasn't really slowed. If anything, it's speeding up. <laughs> it's great. I mean, which is awesome because I mean, but for you who spent so much time, like you were saying, wanting people to look at you, notice you, mm. um, one, did that take a lot more out of you than you realized? And two, did, could that, at that moment in your life, if someone explained to you music as a kind of service, could you have understood that or listened to that as a possibility or were you too busy, you too in that space? Well, you know, I was, <laughs> see, man, the music business is also very fun. <laughs> you know, it's like I had a record deal. And yeah. Columbia Records was very good to me. I didn't make a ton of money. I didn't sell a lot of records, but we're probably talking to each other because of Columbia Records. Interesting. So if, and I got that really early in my life. I was 27, I think, when I got my record deal. Had a great time. You know, it was like nine, eight or nine years of that. And uh, I was into it. And if you're going to have that sort of thing happen to you and you get that deal, um, you better go for it. So I went for it and I loved it. Um, and no, I, it did take a lot out of me. It, when it, it didn't take a lot out of me then. It took a lot out of me um when sort of after 2000, when I began to enter into the indie record world mm. and trying to uh, keep that going, I was blessed by being on dual tone for three records. You know, they were great. And uh, I, I established some really great relationships with people in the biz through Columbia and dual tone, who I still work with those guys. Um, two people that are working with me now, I met them in, when I was on Columbia and uh, Scott Robinson at Dual Tone, still a great friend and and, and advisor, sort of on my team. Uh, but um, yeah, it did take a lot out of me. It took a lot out of me when when things weren't going well. You know, there's an arc of an artist's career I think that no one tells you about, and not everybody hits it or, or not everybody hits it in the same way. But there's an arc that happens sort of when things when you're no longer the new kid. Um, and it's not about the quality of your work or it's not about, you know, it's just about the way things are. It's just music, you know, there's a, there's a natural lull and there's natural lulls that happen. I mean, it's, it's a wave, you know, that happens and, um, it's, it can be brutal. It can, you know, depending on your economic situation, your family situation, your health, all that kind of thing, it can be brutal on your um, sense of your new ego and your, because you got to have an ego to do this. If you don't have an ego, you shouldn't get in the music business. Right. <laughs> right. And a young ego is different than an older ego. It's a different thing. And I definitely went for it. And I, I had that young man's ego and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it did take a lot out of me, you know, a couple of marriages, you know, a lot of time on the road, uh, some economic hardship, but the benefit was that 
the life and the lifestyle that it gave me was the best, man. It's like my life is fantastic. And it comes from, um, you know, having some success, enough success to keep going. Uh, and then also getting the shit beat out of me. Yeah. And, you know, I, at one point I thought about, uh, well, several points I've thought about stopping. Like around 4.30 this afternoon, I went, man, fuck. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you know, and I don't think it's uncommon uh, in, among music people to think like, God, there's got to be like an easier way to live or a different way to work or something. And I thought about it quite a few times. And every time I think about it, I'd go, okay, what's this much fun? Like really, really like there's nothing more fun than being a musician. Like when it's good, it is the best, you know, you hang out with cool people. You can legitimately tell people after spending a day listening to reggae records, you can legitimately tell people you're working. That's pretty awesome, you know, and it's pretty like it really like, come on, man, you can write songs. Songwriters are the most empathetic, wonderful set of friends that you can have. You know, my mother died uh, last April and man, my songwriter friends were just amazing with that, you know, and so the community that I've built is, is like, it, it's kind of incredible. So yeah, it took a lot out of me. <clears throat> At the same time, it filled me up. At the same time that it was taking a lot out of me, it was also filling me up. But I didn't always recognize it as that. It took me a while. And ha would I? The second part of your question: Would I have recognized the song, the music as service? Yeah. No way, man. No way. No way. I was <laughs> totally, you know, like I was an artist. I was like me, 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 and that's you kind of have to have that early in your career <clears throat> it takes that kind of focus and takes that kind of direction and singularity <clears throat> you can be you can you don't have to be an asshole about it right but you do kind of need to be hey this is what i'm doing and it actually is kind of about this and yeah i'm serious and because if not your competition is doing it. And so if you're going to play the game, you don't have to play the game. <laughs> you don't have to. But if you're going to play the game, you better get on board with that. And um, no, man, it was uh, it was only through uh, really desperation and hunger, desperation and hunger that I begin to look around for different ways to work using songs. And it was not about service in the beginning. It was about paying bills and staying creative. It was about, oh, what can I do, man? I got to like figure it out. I had kids. I knew that I wanted to write songs, but I didn't know how to do it in the, the traditional way. And and I found these other ways to work. And it was a lifesaver. It was an economic lifesaver. It was a creativity lifesaver in that I found a way to, to, to like get up in the morning and go, let's go, man. It's going to be awesome. I, I had a way, I had an outlet that I could, turn on to like when you sit like you know the the whole thing started the the be an artist program that started with elementary school kids you know like it was like it wasn't very rock and roll music business it was like there was no music business in it but it was very rock and roll in that you know you show up in a school of fifth graders 
and you're going to do a creativity workshop and then write a song with them, you better be on your game, dude, or they'll just put their head down on their desk and go to sleep. You know, right. it's like really black and white. And and that sort of intensity level is not unlike a <clears throat> the intensity level that you bring to a, a show. It's the same thing. So I began to see, and I had a manager at the time who was really fantastic. Uh, and he said, man, stop looking at it as, as all these different components of work. And wrap your arm around it all. And it's just you. And it's just what you do. And and never be, never hide these one part of what your work from another part of your work. Let it be you. And that was a massive uh, eye-opener for me. <clears throat> and I began to see it all as the same thing. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And then you begin to think of like I don't really think about career uh, that never really crosses my mind uh, somebody asked me that about five years ago how's your career going I was like I have no idea I have no clue I know that I'm working all the time but I don't really think about that career that's a that to me to me that's a, like a young man's or young person's question and I was like I don't I don't even <laughs> I don't even it, that it is what it is I have no control over that and uh, but with songwriting with soldiers and that kind of work, you know, recently with the pandemic, I started doing a lot of work with frontline healthcare workers. Right. That's the same thing, man. It's like show up. You're gonna write a song. I get to write a song today, or two songs. I get to. I get to. I got two hours to sit down. I get. I pull the story out of the air with these people's conversations, and together we're gonna write this song. And it. It. I've seen the benefit that it does for them. It does for me. That's a pretty, that's a beautiful thing, man. Not everybody would want to do that work, but for me, it's it's the highest form. To me, it's one of the highest forms of that I've ever found for my skill set. It also employs a different kind of listening, right? Like you have to really listen to people. It, it is a high. It's it is like I think they call it active listening. Right. It's like super active listening. It's a. It's really cool to sit down in a, in a room and write a song, and I learned this. I learned the skill set in Nashville, you know, it's a Nashville, it's based on a Nashville songwriting method where you sit down in a room and you go, where's the story? Where's the hook? What strategy are we going to use to tell this thing in a song? And to do that, if you're sitting there really collaborating and, you know, the best collaborators are good listeners and the best collaborators, it's a divide and conquer kind of thing. Where I'll take care of this, you take care of that. We'll put it together, make a big thing, and it requires a listening that that I that I wasn't aware that I had, and um, it was, I mean, I'm talking a lot right now, but I also I can also if we were writing a song, it'd be a different thing, you know, and uh, it's a really powerful experience, and and I think that it also shaped like this record to get back to that it, those experiences shaped like when i came back to write songs for myself in this like for western skies it's like delicious man it's just mm -hmm. delicious it's just the whole experience is so delicious because it's like oh yes i can bring all that those skill sets that i've uh, burnished with this other work and i could focus it on this thing that i can and i can go hang with these friends of mine that are really good at what they do writers players, engineers, producers, and we can turn, we can use it all for this now. 
And so it's in service of a thing that, yeah, it's me, but then it's in service of the story, it's in service of the song, it's in service of this larger thing, the art, photos, it all comes big thing. So it almost like it reinformed you as a songwriter. 100%, man. Yeah. 100%. I fell back in love with songs. Right. So I had fallen, you know, one of the quandaries that, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is that someone who does it a, a while, the music business can just beat the love out of you. You know, and if things go well, if things don't go well, things don't ever go well, it can be brutal. If things go pretty well, that can be really harsh. <laughs> because it goes pretty well. There, right? You're always sort of there. They are sort of there, you know, and, and I, I had enough success to like I said, like to make a living and keep going, but it wasn't like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a household name. It's not like that. And, and that's cool because there's a lot of freedom involved. There's a lot of freedom that comes from that. Not, I have, I can, I have, I can move totally laterally in my work and I don't have a bunch of people screaming at me to put out a record and go on the road to do this tour. I can pretty much do what I want. It's really a beautiful thing. Does that make sense? It does. Sense. It does. And I'm also wondering if you, if this process helped you learn to listen to yourself better. 100%, man. It, it helped me get quiet. Yeah. And so when I began to work in, like when I began to work on the photography and the writing and the songs, for Western skies, I was different than I had been even five years before. I was really different. And of course this was happening, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of during, you know, during the whole pandemic thing, but, but it was also, I could really get quiet in the writing and the photography, which is really cool. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. So. It's also like, I was thinking about you in a car driving you know through america and seeing places you've that you some of you'd seen before yeah um, but but this project made you see things <laughs> aside from yourself it made you see things totally differently like yourself um the landscape <coughs> right yeah everything yes. so that must have been a pretty intense process very and the cool the, so <clears throat> I think the, the, there's a couple of things I think that helped me in this. <clears throat> and it's funny because <clears throat> this was happening, you know, in the middle of sort of pandemic, blah, you know, thing where a part of our sort of daily existence and our consciousness uh, sort of globally, but I know that in my house, in my you know community was becoming very digital. Mm-hmm. We became a digital, we, we sort it's sort of, I mean, we're on Zoom right now. Right. You know, it like, and that's sort of like, it just sort of pushed everyone into this rapidly accelerated digital, which I think added to everybody's stress. It definitely added to everyone's aloneness. Uh, and there was a connective, but it's also alone, you know? Uh, so Western Skies was created in a very an analog way in that the songs were written on acoustic guitar and piano with a really basic old drum machine and that I have. And um, then the, song, the essays were written in a moleskin notebook and the photos were taken on a Polaroid camera. 
which a Polaroid, there's no editing. No. You get what you get, man. And it's then it's about seeing and framing, which in some ways is very attuned to drawing. And I draw a lot now, you know, it's a big part of what I do. So I look at Polaroids as drawings <clears throat> with a camera and songs are the same. You got to slow down to write a song. You can't be in motion. You have to slow down and see it. You have to listen. You have to listen to dialogue of people around you for things that are said. You have to be aware of stuff and listen to your own voice. Uh, so the slowing down of that allowed me to get more inside of this stuff in a stillness and, and, and find the stillness uh, in the moment and, and on these drives, see things and, and, um, and I just begin to see from a different place. And, and the camera really helped. Am I answering your question at all, by the way? You are. You are. And it also sounds like you rediscovered patience, like for art, right? Uh, I, I've, I've had patience for art, but I, um, what, I had time. Time. I had time. I mean, there's a couple of things uh, that occurred to me in this. One is the beauty of having the time is a luxury. And as an artist, to have time, I mean, I know so many artists that actually love the pandemic. They, you know, they didn't love the, the pain and the suffering of people around it. But as far as their own lives, they, they actually kind of dug it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. You know, <clears throat> it was, it was, they were natural social isolators anyway. Yeah. But, uh, but then having the time and then taking the time. So taking the time to, to take videos, to, I mean, to take photos. I went out and did, I, I shot, I spent two weeks out in West Texas shooting video on my own, taking that time away from my family, away from, you know, kind of other quote unquote responsibilities. I, I dedicated it to it and then taking the time, I'm going to go write songs. I'm going to, I'm going to take the time. And when you begin to take the time to do these things, you're more likely to do them, mm. but it's taking the time. So taking the time to sit down <clears throat> and write these essays in a very analog way, it's pen, a pen with paper. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's still, it, you have to be still, you can't write and be walking around. You can't write an essay and be driving or eating. You have to stop. And that's, <clears throat> something I've, I've always I've always kind of had that, but I definitely rediscovered it and totally embraced it with a passion. I stopped doing the song, the work with songwriting with soldiers in the middle of this project. Uh, and it was part of it was that I was just into doing other things. I wanted to get more into this. And uh, so <clears throat> it's really so, yeah. I mean, it, Western Skies really is the flexing of like five different creative muscles, which is a lot. So I wonder also if you felt drained in a different kind of way or rejuvenated by the end of it. Oh, I feel both. You know, I feel, yeah. uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, it's a it's the largest sort of scope of uh, of any project I've ever done. 
because and it's also not finished yet <laughs> it's like it's keep it's there's there's these other <clears throat> manifestations of it that, that are coming it's going to take like i got a, a couple of years planned of things um <clears throat> you know so you know and western skies i didn't set out to do it i didn't set out to make this thing it was originally i was just writing songs and i was just taking pictures and I was just writing essays and they were kind of what I would call three boxes of work. And I was making drawings on the side too. I was doing a series of drawings. So it was just this thing that I, these things that I was doing, I didn't understand how they fit together. <clears throat> and it was on this, I was required, I did the demos for it. Just me on my own with an engineer out at Sonic ranch and, and El Paso is uh, outside of El Paso. It's a great recording studio. And it was only on the second day of the recording when I kind of, I mean, it was like I was out looking at the, you know, standing out looking at the sun going down in the desert. And it just kind of hit me. I was like, oh, wow, this is one thing. These songs and these pictures and these essays, they fit together and it's into one thing. And the thing is a book that holds them all together and an, uh, and an accompanying album and accompanying things, but it really the center of it is the book. And uh, so after that, and I remember walking back into the studio and telling the engineer, like, who was this guy named Mario? And he was like 25 and I was, and, and he was, you know, and I went, Hey man, I got it. I got it. It's, it's a book. And he's like, what are you, what? And I went, it's a book, man. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be crazy. And, Photos and da 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 da, da. and uh, it began. It, that's when the that that's when it began became more intentional. Then, and I began to really, really bear down on the photos, and the I had a lot of photos taken by them. But then I began to sort of as and sort of as the recording of the album went on, I I kept taking pictures, kept taking pictures, and I kept working on the essays. Uh, but then it became intentional at that point, and. And I begin to really, I really is firing on a lot of things that I've been working on a long time to creative outlets, um, the video, and you know, there's an, a spoken word come and a spoken word album coming in like September. <clears throat> that is the essays we we scored the essays, we recorded the essays, and then we scored them with music. And I created a whole body of a video as well that go along with those essays so that that's not even out yet and there's the lithographs there's a whole series of lithographs there's an art show happening this weekend um in houston i took i took 11 of the photographs and worked with a printing press in houston to create lithographs that are you know we enlarged the polaroids uh scanned it and enlarged it and made these beautiful lithographs so there's art component. There's a series of etchings that are coming after, you know, like, I don't know, in a year, year and a half. Um, you know, and I've done some big drawings and the goal is to make a, you know, I mean, it can go on and on and on. And that's the cool thing is that Western Skies is is a, uh, is like a, uh, a, a, a vessel that can hold a lot of things. And it's, it's as long as, it's as much as I want to put into it now. And it's so it's it is exhausting. At the same time, I've never felt more creatively alive. Mm. 
probably ever in my life, which is, you know, I think about it, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm turning 60 in, in a week. It's pretty lucky, man. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be hitting 60 and going, let's rock guys. Let's go, man. Like I'm on, you know, and it's not like, uh, it, and it's cool. You know, it's, it's just like a really exciting thing for me just personally. I'm very proud of it, but <clears throat> yeah, it is draining. It's exhausting. And it's, it fills you up too. Were you surprised at how big the project started to get? Like, it wasn't just a book. It was like, it was containing all these different elements where you're like, holy shit, this is just getting, this is getting massive. Well, I've all, I've, I've uh, suffered. I suffer from too many ideas. <laughs> now they're all in one place, Darden. Yeah, I suffer. I, I've, I've, I have more ideas than time, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and, and that's, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. So the one thing I'm I'm blessed in is that uh, I was able to corral them under one title and corral them into one thing and kind of see it because if you you know it's like you have to see it you have to see a project for it to really come into shape and I saw it I could see it I saw that it's a book with these things these components around it and that are supported and all of them have to stand on their own because there's people that will never see the book. You know, they'll just get the music and that's really all they're into. That's cool. And so they have to, that pillar has to stand on its own. There's people that will see the book and never listen to the music. That's cool. Every now and then you're going to get people that's, that have both. And there, I know there's people that will never see the art and there's people that will only see the art. Mm. Great. Awesome. They all, it's all connected. And maybe it may take 10 years for them to actually make those connections on their own. Great great <laughs> like yeah, you know yeah. just keeps going you know and uh so there's it, it's um it is it's it's very very fun and um uh yeah so i mean from the audience perspective you're casting a really large net very right which is very, cool int yeah and intentionally yeah because um you know artists uh, audiences are uh uh, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of people out there that that drift away from one artist's work. They drift away. We drift away from artists. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's like it doesn't matter who it is. Like we drift. You know, the things that we listen to when we're thirty are not what we listen to when we're forty no, or fifty. That's true. You know, that's and true. so how do how do I? <clears throat> and it's not about going out and getting fans. It's like who else is out there who else is out there that maybe i mean i've got people that buy my artwork that have never really they don't really know what i do <laughs> they just they don't really listen to my record they don't really like my records i know one guy who buys my art he like i know he doesn't really like my records <laughs> awesome and i know a lot of people that don't like my art it's cool and some people like it both you know so it's like it's cool but there's more people out there than just you know one thing for me some people are satisfied with what they have in just a music thing that's great i'm i get bored it was perfect for a little while everything a love should be easy days and endless nights Making plans 
dreaming dreams Well I keep holding on Even though it's wrong Cause your memory makes me smile Like that summer moon Always leads too soon Oh, but it's perfect For a little while I remember when When I said to you It seems like I've Been here before Somehow I knew it too good to be true. Come a day you won't love me anymore. I keep holding on to your favorite song and guess me. is natural because like for example totally like i drifted away from elvis costello totally i love love him but like i I did the last 15 albums i just haven't really paid much attention yeah what's cool is i i I realize i i you know i realized that with miles davis okay i love early miles davis bitches brew not so much (laughs) you know it's just like I don't dig it. It doesn't mean I don't love Miles Davis. I just drifted away. And then, you know, there was a record that he did live at Montro with Quincy Jones, like later in his life. Unbelievable. I love it. 
I don't have to love everything that Miles Davis does to love Miles Davis. It's almost like I love the concept of Miles Davis. I love the concept of Bob Dylan. I love the concept of Elvis Costello. I know exactly what you're talking about. Shortly after Imperial Bedroom, I just kind of lost it. Yeah. <laughs> King of America was awesome. I don't listen to it. I listen to Imperial Bedroom and I listen yeah. to, I listen to, you know, uh, My Aim is True and those records. And there's no denying the talent and the brilliance of those people. It's just, I don't have to listen to everything. I don't have to love everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I always found in terms of a, as a collaborator, I've always thought of you as like a really good example of someone who collaborates really well. Cause my, my gateway into your work was through with, with, with Boo, with that. Evan. Oh, Boo Hewardine. Yeah. yeah. That was the friend. I was a huge Bible fan. Oh and, man. Uh, right. And Honey so be good. My, oh, my God. Yeah. But for me, like Graceland was the first Graceland. Time I, heard, I mean, there right? was just, well, you know, the, it's funny uh, that Boo and I, neither one of us were really knew anything about collaborating before that. At all. I, no, we, I, I, neither one of us had ever written songs with other people. And uh, that was the perfect, we almost, and, and we were put together by his music publisher, Nigel Grange, who's a massive impact on both of us. I mean, and he changed, he, he was a massive music guy. And, you know, sign World Party, everything back to Steve Miller, Thin Lizzy, Boomtown Rats. You know, it's incredible what the guy did. But World Party, Waterboys, Sinead O'Connor, signed all that stuff. And, um, but Boo, well, the great thing about Boo is Boo had his thing. He came from English pop music. Right. And I came from Texas folk music. Well, Boo loved what I did and I loved what he did. He showed me how to play sort of English, you know, he calls them middle eights instead of bridges. It's like either middle eight It's like he comes from the Beatles and I come from Guy Clark. I showed and he saw in me, he, he was able to get the fresh view of what I do. And I was able to give him a fresh view into what he does. That's what collaboration should be. Mm. It's like if you both do the same thing, what's the point? And I, I, I fell in love with that. And then, you know, I've, I've done, I learned to collaborate in uh, Nashville, like learned to write songs in Nashville a lot and uh, the sort of Nashville method. And, you know, people like Gary Nicholson and uh, Radney Foster, a huge songwriting mentor. And, um, and that's like, if you sit in a room with somebody, like, you know, they may have a better idea than you. It's just right. the way it goes. You're still in the room. Yeah. But if, if it's all about your idea, you're not a very good collaborator. Um, the whole thing is 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 opening up to other. I mean, you know, it's like these songs. There's songs on this record, Miles Between. I wrote that with Jack Ingram. I had a I had an idea for that song, and you know, it started with it and the first verse of that. But Jack really changed the direction of it. Uh, there's a song called Perfect for a Little While that I wrote with James House. I wrote two songs with James House, Perfect for a Little While and um, uh, uh, Not Tomorrow Yet. And both of those, like James had a massive input on those songs. And and all I care about is getting a better song. Mm. I don't care about it being my idea or not. idea. That's not the point. The point is to get a better song. So I love, and I love collaborating. I never want to make my, I never want to produce my own record. That's awful. It's interesting to hear you say that because some people, they're really, they're that young man, Diga, you were talking about. People get their feelings hurt 
And I think that's a that's a tricky thing with collaboration. We're sort of like, right? Well, it's it, it to me collaboration depends on respect. And you have to have you have to respect your collaborator and your collaborator has to ex respect you. I've worked with people that didn't respect me. And that's awful. Uh, but I have a no asshole policy. <laughs> like, I don't want to work with assholes. And because there's too many good after a while, you know, I mean, after a while, if you've been in the if you've been in music for a while, operating at a certain sort of level, you know, a lot of really good people. Yeah, I mean, and the people who've been doing it for 20 years, they're good. They're good, or they wouldn't be still able to do it. So pick the people who've been doing it for a while who are very good, who are nice, and cool, work with them. And the people who aren't cool, don't work with them. Because there's this guy over here. He's just as cool. He's just as good. But he's nice. And he'll listen. That's what makes Charlie Sexton so good in the studio. It's not about Charlie's idea. Charlie wants you to be happy. He wants to make cool music. And if you suggest things to Charlie, he goes, okay, great. Yeah. And he's like, he doesn't fight you. Same with everybody on the record. This record was that way. Um, and I also think that uh, I look at collaboration like, um, first of all, I try to work with people that are better than me. Mm -hmm. I always try to work with people that are better than me, who I, you know, the quality, the quantitative part of that, I don't know, you know, but it's like, I want to feel they're better than me. <laughs> and if it's a, a, a musician that they say I'm quote hiring for a studio or something like that, I want to hire the best guy I can. I, I don't, I don't hire my friends. I'm friendly with people that I hire. And I've become, I've become friends with people that I work with, but I don't just hire my friends and I hire the best people I can afford. I ask, I ask, I make the big ask to people because I know, uh, I learned a long time ago that the best people like, like to work. And if they have a day off, they'll come and work with you. So ask the best, they might say yes. And, uh, then let them give you everything they've got first like listen to what they play because it might be better than your idea and that's that is the case this is record is a good case and that is that i didn't really tell people what i wanted i knew what i wanted but i didn't really tell them i gave them some broad stroke ideas i showed them pictures showed them photographs i said this is the vibe and you might want to think like think JJ Kale and go. <laughs> that was the note. That was the only now note. Go and yeah. just play it. Just play what you hear and I'll react to you because your idea might be cooler. And I don't want to direct you because and cut off your idea because I'm paying you. I want my money's worth. Right. Like Rami Antunes, the drummer, you know, he's not a traditional like rock drummer. He, you know, he's played with Seal and all that kind of thing. It's like, I want to hear what this dude has to offer because he's a badass. And I don't want to, I don't want to shut him down before he even says anything. And to me, that's the power of, of good collaboration. It's like, let's hear what you've got, because the point is not to get my thing on the, on the record. It's got, it's got my name on it. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a lot. Yeah. How about if I hear, how about if I hear your music and hear your brilliance and let's capture your brilliance and put it with what I do and we'll make a bigger thing. That to me is the beauty of collaboration and um, 
the power of, of opening yourself up to that is really, it's like, uh, it's the, it, to me, it's, it's what music uh, can offer us. One of the things. When, when Boo sort of let you peek into the imperial bedroom side of things, right? The pop, the English pop kind of stuff. Do you still use the skills that you, that he sort of revealed to you? Is that something that you- Oh, totally, to totally. Yeah. yeah, like Boo Hewerding taught me how to write bridges. He taught, me how to write, he, he taught me how to write middle eights and he writes a great middle eight, man. And um, he taught me a lot about chord changes. He taught me a lot. He taught me, a, you know, because I was listening to that music. So I was, you know, and when I was in my early 20s, like I didn't know how to play. I wasn't a very good guitar player. I knew how to play country music and swing and folk. <clears throat> but I was listening to The Pretenders and Crowded House and Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe that's what I was that's where my sonic input was coming from along with Dylan and those kind of things and but really like once I got into my 20s it was really like English pop music mm. and I loved it it was great Roxy music and and uh, things like that it was just like I was but I didn't understand it I don't read music so I couldn't play it when I got with Boo it was like oh here's how you play that stuff <laughs> and so I began to open up to that thing and and so the record, um, uh, little, my record, Little Victories, which came out in 93. Uh, I love that record. Thank you. So <clears throat> that record was heavily influenced by things that I heard in London. Boo. But also the guy that produced the record I did with uh, Boo, uh, he also produced half of Trouble No More, a guy named Martin Lascelles. He was an R&B producer in London. You know, and I, I was used to stay with him all the time. Loving Arms was written in his house. Uh, and I, um, he turned me on to uh, Soul to Soul mm. and the chimes and that thing that was happening, that sort of British R&B soul thing that was going on in the early 90s. Yeah. Blew, it blew my mind. And so if you listen to Loving Arms, it's kind of soul to soul. You know, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of got this thing to it. And, and, and so uh, it, it, it really opened me up to this other way and sort of melding that onto, um, melding that onto the sort of Texas, definitely singer songwritery thing that I had. It, it definitely, Boo opened me up to that sort of, it brought, he broadened the horizon about what kind of music, which became a marketing problem for my record label, you know, but. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, I got really lucky very early and, and I got started making records very early in my life, probably before I was fully formed as a musician. Um, but that's life, you know, there you go. So are you and Boo still in touch? Oh God, we, yeah, all the time. Yeah, I FaceTime, yeah. I FaceTime with him like just, I don't know, last week. Oh, and, cool. uh, yeah, we're working together. We're teaching, we teach a songwriting workshop every year. Well, we didn't during the pandemic, of course, but, uh, we teach a songwriting workshop every year in Inverness, Scotland. Oh, so wow. that's coming up in June. So yeah, we're like best friends. We're like, yeah, it, it became this magical, amazing friendship that is, you know, he's probably, he's a very, very close friend of mine. And uh, at least I, I don't know how he feels about me. But he likes me enough, you know, he hangs out with me. But he's, I love him. I don't know how he feels about me, you know, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it, and we have uh, this crazy kind of parallel life thing going on. Like, we'll not see each other for a year or so and what's going on. And 
something's happened sort of in my personal life or my music life. And it's exactly the same thing that's happened to him. And we're very competitive with each other. Like he does something. I'm like, ah, you know, and God, he's like, why is it, you know, and I'll do something. And he's like, you know, he told me I'm, he's, last time we saw each other, he said, I'm insanely jealous by these books that you write. Wow. Insanely. And I'm, you know, he has, he has this amazing, he's had something like 900 songs recorded by other people. Yeah. 900 dude that's like know that. yeah 900 he's so prolific and he's like the number one go-to one of the number one go-to guys in the sort of british pop folk world to write so he's just outrageous he's he's another one of these people i, I can't he's really one of the most amazing musicians I've been around, you know, it's, I've been around a lot, but Boo is, Boo is truly a gifted individual. You know? I remember driving uh, in 87, I was driving in uh, here in California and, and Grace and I come on the radio and it was like, what's happening? Like, it felt like a magic yeah. moment. Like that's, what is, this is brilliant. Yeah. That was around the time that I met him, you know, right, at, right after that, right after they became to America, I read about him in Spin Magazine. And when I was offered a chance to write with him uh, by his, this guy, Nigel Grange, that's all I knew about him was that little, a little like paragraph in Spin Magazine. And I, I just realized I was going to get a free trip to London. And I went, oh, I love his music. He's amazing. <laughs> that was it. I just, I totally bullshitted my way into that great collaboration, you know, friendship, remarkable time in my life it was the most it was a hilarious thing no i love hearing you guys are pals so that that's such a cool that's oh yeah cool. yeah we're still like that, that. You know, great. in high school my my english teacher told me that she said you know if you read hamlet at 18 and read it again at 25 and read it again at 40 and then again at 60 it keeps changing and i was like what are you talking about? i didn't get that at 18 i was like how can a book keep changing but she was right and i wonder for you with western skies as you are seeing places you've already seen you've been going to places you've already been like West Texas, for example, it wasn't your first time there, but do you feel that you, that you're seeing it in as a, as a man of a certain age, you and I are around the yeah. same age, but like that it sort of had this whole new meaning for you. 100%. And it, partly it's uh, age. Yeah. There was also, you know, the time that I was doing these drives because this, this, this whole thing started with this series of drives that I made between Austin and Arizona during this sort of pandemic shutdown. So everything was happening around me. My mother was dying. Uh, she died. She passed away in April of this past year. So she was very sick. And when your parent dies, uh, sort of mortality comes, like slams you in the face. Yeah. I lost friends during the pandemic. That was all around us. It was just raging in a way that sort of our cultures never experienced or hadn't experienced in the last you know, 30 or 40 years. And then I'm out in West Texas and I'm listening to all the pretty horses the book. And I'm listening to Bob Dylan's rough and rowdy ways, <laughs> especially murder most foul. That okay. song. I listened to that song over and over like blown away. Like here is this guy, here are these two pillars of American writing. They're not young men. Dylan is in his 80s, I guess, you know, it's like, yeah. and he's, he's like killing it. And 
they're talking about heavy stuff, man. They're talking about a bleak American thing. And I'm driving through the the Trans-Pecos region of Texas, which is a bleak thing, man. It's a beauty, it's a beautiful thing, but it's bleak. And I've read a lot of history of that world, part of the world, you know, and uh, the Native Americans that were there for thousands and thousands of years along the Rio Grande, the Hispanic thing that's in West Texas, the conflicts along the border, immigration now. So I'm looking at all these things and driving through this world with this camera and my own sort of vision um, and definitely saw it in a really different way. And one thing that was cool about the camera was that it doesn't take really good pictures of people. <laughs> and or I wasn't able to capture really good pictures of people. And so all there's no people in those photographs. It's not a single person. And it was a time of aloneness. And I began, you know, I've always been good at being alone. Yeah. Uh, I'm good at it. I grew up, even when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm and walking around in the woods and everything. And I was just able to, I've always been able to entertain myself. And um, so I was really comfortable. But I did get a, I did get way out there and get like super alone during this time, and and getting on the deserts and the West Texas, getting on its time frame, seeing and able to see the beauty of it, the the landscape sort of beauty. It's almost structure a structural landscape out there, and then the structural landscape of the little towns. And the bleakness that's in the towns, the sort of abandoned dreams that are cover that whole zone. I don't know that I saw it that way until recently. I, I didn't see the, I didn't see the beauty and the bleakness juxtaposing on each other, like slamming up against each other. Uh, and that that comes across in one of the essays about you know it's like it's this weird dichotomy of broken glass reflecting broken glass on the side of the road reflecting the blue sky you know and it's it's like beautiful and awful all at the same time and that to me is the sort of crazy thing about texas but it's also the crazy thing about the american west it's this beautiful awful degradation of the landscape and uh appreciation of the landscape um and that really, I think that coming up against <clears throat> what was happening in the world at that time, uh, looking at mortality, you know, nearing my 60s, my mother passing away, my father's older, um, my kids are growing up, grown up. And uh, so I think all of that came together with time, with the, uh, once again, having time and taking the time. And, and recognizing the artistic value of taking the time. Because you often have the time, but don't take the time. And, and seeing that, like, I, I'm lucky. I, I'm lucky enough to, to uh, have the time. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have uh, craft. You know, I have some craft. And I'm lucky enough to realize the value of um, seclusion 
an isolation to force myself into this thing. And once I got into that, then yes, I begin to definitely see these places differently, see these experiences differently. Uh, there's also <clears throat> Western skies is full of gratitude. Mm. The record is very full of gratitude, which is weird uh, because uh, like the song running out of time, it's all about gratitude for my relationship that I'm in. It's just about this wonderful woman that I like, love, you know, she's amazing. Perfect for a little while is about gratitude. Even though the relationship is done, it's gratitude for this. It was called perfect, man, for a little while. Yeah. Which is, you know, if we can have perfection for a short moment, that's awesome, <clears throat> you know? And um, Hummingbird, which is the last song on the record, is, is about it's beautiful, experience and you know that's happened because i saw these hummingbirds at night and i didn't know that hummingbirds flew at night and i saw these hummingbirds at night and i was like wow look at this so i'm like i i get to see this stuff the same way a polaroid comes into view after a certain amount of time <clears throat> did the theme of gratitude sort of like you saw it rushing over everything. You went, whoa, that's kind of a cool thematic. Yeah, well, it was cool to, to open up my, uh, <clears throat> you could say open up my viewfinder to see gratitude in the midst of this really dark time. Mm. And to actually my, my, my girlfriend, my partner is very, uh, has helped me a lot. I'm a generally a dark guy. And, uh, She's helped me a lot with kind of reframing experience. I can, you have the choice. You can look at it completely negative. You can look at every day negative. And you can also look at it positive. You, it's just your, it, what is happening, it just is. And it's up to us to, to choose how we're going to look at this. So in the pandemic, but also in, in the making of Western Skies, the goal to me, one of the goals, and I don't know that I've ever said this before, I don't know if I've ever thought about it, but it's like one of the goals was to acknowledge the darkness. So acknowledge the bleakness of the landscape, acknowledge the bleakness of, of loneliness, of isolation, of spirituality, of, uh, and then acknowledge the, uh, the positive part, the gratitude, the amount of beauty, the amount of love, the amount of uh, appreciation that I have for, my f for people because I was isolated. You know what I mean? And um, so that that's in there, but I, I didn't, don't think I saw it in this way. This is like, I don't know, a couple of people have said, dude, man, it's like too bad you didn't put this record out when you were on, you know, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, if I, if I was gonna do it, I would have, you know, if I, if I could have right. written it, you know, I would have like, you know, it's just the way it goes. So, and also it's like, you know, your career builds to new, but you couldn't have had this without the 10 albums before it. Yeah. This is number 16. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But it's almost like your life experience leads you to like, you have yeah, to. Yeah, man. Right? Yeah. I mean, like all the mistakes I've made, I was thinking about the other day, like the mistakes I made as a young man were because like the young ego, cause I'm a writer and it was the young ego. Most of my mistakes were informed by libido, you know, like. Oh, totally. Right? They're hot self, they're self-inflicted. Oh, fuck. Like, yeah, hot girl number 33. This is like same mistake, same patterns. I hit 50. Same chick. 
I hit 50 and I was like, oh, now I get it. But I, could, I wouldn't have got it at 49, darn. No. <laughs> I, no. I had to get to this place before I really got it. And so, yeah. you know, and I'm okay with that. So I'm, we're just, we're lucky to have Western skies. Who cares if it's now or 20 years ago? We're just happy it's yeah. here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like that. I mean, I mean, you know, part of this thing was like, I get to make this record. I get to make this book. I get to make these drives. I get to, I've been, you know, there's a, I keep a picture on my, it's like, there's a picture. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my desk. It's of the artist Chuck Close. And Chuck Close you know, and later in his life, you know, I mean, you know, he's in a wheelchair, he painted with his mouth, you know, and the whole thing and his crazy life. But as he got later in his life, he, there was this great interview in the, in the New York Times magazine, where this picture comes from, actually, I ordered it online. But, um, and, and he was at the, the writer asked him, why do you work so hard? You know, you're 85 or whatever, and you're got tons of money. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you're like, it's not like you have to paint, you know, to make a living. And you're, it's exhausting for you. It's hard. It's difficult. He goes, he goes, man, <laughs> I'm at the place where my life, where I can sell anything. I, anything I paint will sell. I know that. Somebody will buy it because it, I'm Chuck Close. Which means that I can push myself way beyond. If I had, if I, I'm, lucky i can i know i'm gonna make a living which means i have the opportunity to fulfill my dream which is to keep working if i did not take that opportunity what a waste what a waste it's like you've been working all and then you like give up you know you just stop because i can like fuck. and so i feel like I, I, after I also, this is informed by the work with songwriting with soldiers, you know, being around veterans, mm. people who are really struggling, like hanging on dear for dear life. And, uh, I don't have some of those, I don't have those same issues. So I'm in a place where I have a lot of, uh, opportunity, uh, not money stuff. It's just creative opportunity. I see your cat there. Yeah, he, he wants to hear what's up with you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I I feel blessed that I can take these opportunities. I have the support of people around me to help me do these things. And I kind of have a responsibility to do it. Because if not, it's all been kind of a kind of a false alarm, you know, kind of a false step. Well, dude, not one false step in your career. I, I live in the you've done. Oh yeah, they have been. Yeah, they've been. Yeah, I've yeah, I've made false steps. <laughs> well, I don't hear them, but uh, I've made a lot of mistakes, man. Really? Yeah, totally. And I've done things. I look back on. It, I go, God, what a dumbass move, you know. Yeah. And I've done things that were not. Um, well, I just you know I, I you know I, you do things, and you look up and you go, that was weird. Why did I do that? Well, at the time, I thought it was totally the right call. Right. And I've made records that were less than fully formed. Uh, and I didn't know. And, you know, like the best records always had the best producers. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, like Richard Goderer produced Little Victories. Yeah. 
the dude wrote my boyfriend's back. He he produced the Blondie records. He produced the Go-Go's. He produced Marshall Crenshaw's first record. Dude knew what he was doing. And that's why that record sounds that way, you know? And I think, quite frankly, this record sounds good because Michael Ramos and Stuart Lehrman, who I did, they're very good at what they do, you know? And you get good people around you. And sometimes I didn't, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't on my game, you know? That happens. So. But yet, you know, all these years later, you're the best iteration of yourself, both as a, as like a partner, as a songwriter, as a collaborator, like, don't you think you're at your most optimum Darden Smith at this point? Uh, actually, I think that I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job of it. You know, I don't know. It's hard to judge yourself and you don't know that until later. I think I was, uh, I think that I'm, I have a deeper gratitude for being where I am now than I've had, you know, my last record was called Everything. And it was uh, the most gratitude based record I've ever made as far as it was a positive record. I mean, it was like I intentionally wanted to put out a record that had a, a positive thing. And it wasn't I'm trying to be happy. It's just that it's possible to talk about dark things, but still be gratitude. Yeah. And, and I just internalized that. And I just I feel that I'm really blessed to have the, the the leeway to do these creative things. And I have enough, I have um, collaborators that are at the top of their game. So it takes what I do and it makes it sound and look better, <laughs> you know? So that's really key, man. You, you know, to have that is really, really, really lucky. And they will work with me and it's a blessing. I have to bring my part and I have to do my thing, but also I'm just incredibly blessed to have these these amazing uh, collaborators around me, uh, which without them, it wouldn't. I mean, the book would not have the book would not have happened without the publisher. Dexterity and Matt West in particular, the book wouldn't look the way it is without the designers. The, The record would not be the way it is without the writers, the other writers I work with, the producers. The, in, the players, it just, it just wouldn't, the engine, the mastering engineer who I've never met, it just wouldn't sound that way. It's not me that made that. It's them. It's me working with them. So that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. And get to the, to get to the place where I can turn on and bring myself to that is a really lucky break. Well, dude, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. And I appreciate you staying up and, and being flexible with the time um happy birthday man in a, in a oh yeah yeah it's coming up man i think that's a big fucking deal dude uh, 60 60s great you know because the great thing about 60 is that you don't have to respect anybody because they're your elder <laughs> fuck i'm an elder that's the fuck you know and i can i can i get discounts on hotels <laughs> awesome He's one of those guys you could talk to all night. Darden Smith is what a cool dude. Really fun conversation. He's so open and honest and um, funny and present. 
He's one hell of a songwriter too. Do you have his albums? Do you have what do you have? Little victories, that's it? Get the rest of them. Get them all. Uh, Western skies start there and move backwards. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention Rodney Crowell wrote the introduction to Western Skies. So, you know, Rodney's like the elder statesman of American music. Not a bad choice to uh, write your introduction. Uh, Dardensmith.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with Darden and uh, how to buy his music. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com will tell you all you need to know about our radio station. Uh, What other websites can I direct you to? (laughs) My God. Uh, Follow me on Twitter. How about that? We'll do social media at Ember's Editor or follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or email me. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all of your friends we would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to the title track from Darden Smith's new multimedia project, Western Skies. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Storm is blowing in Windows open wide We lay there like two loaded guns I will always think of you In that fading light Your silhouette It's not the only thing